Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us all across the country and uh, what seems to be all around the world. Today is February 7th, and we're starting half an hour early so folks can finish up and watch the Super Bowl. It's a pretty big deal here in America, so we don't want you to miss out on that. Or whoever team is you're rooting for, you're, you're fortunate because this year we have two uh, really uh, solid teams, and we have a couple of quarterbacks that are strong, strong professing believers in Christ, and that's a pretty cool thing. They're not afraid to uh, to give their testimony, no matter where they are. And athletically, I don't think you can argue that obviously Peyton Manning, first time he is eligible to be in the Hall of Fame, he will be. And certainly Cam Newton is building a an argument that a few years down the road, that's what he will be too. So today's February 7th. So being the math whiz that I am, that means we're about five weeks into our New Year's resolutions. Five weeks. And if you work out at a gym or you drive by a gym, you're probably starting to notice this week that the crowds that were early on in the year hogging up the parking spaces in the parking lot, the stair machines, the treadmills, since January 2nd, they're dropping off precipitously. And the reason for that, you're not going to be surprised to know, is a poll by The Guardian, it's a a publication in the UK, reported that 66% of their respondents said they dropped their resolutions within the first month. And you know what? Those are the only the people that actually admit it. They're They're just the ones that admit to dropping off. They admit to not being resolved for even one month. And I actually read in the paper the other day that the United States, in the United States, 96% actually quit by the third month of the year. Only 4% stay in it to win it after making a New Year's resolution. Now, this isn't surprising. Results, productivity, it's what we all say we want. But why do so many of us fall so short? And why do we feel so bad about our repeated failed attempts? Philippians 2.13 teaches this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God wants us to be productive. So what's the missing piece? Let's look at a necessity for productivity in the Christian life, pruning. God wants us to be productive, and this passage tells us the price of the pruning. Maybe maybe John 15.1-8 can provide some insight. So here we go. I am the real vine. 
Now, this is Yeshua speaking. This is Jesus, all red letters. I am the real vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch which is part of me but fails to bear fruit, he cuts off. And with and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. Right now, because of the word which I have spoken to you, you are pruned. Stay united with me, as I will with you. For just as the branch can't put forth fruit by itself apart from the vine, so you can't bear fruit apart from me. Now, let me go back. Four, uh, this is verse 4. Stay united with me. Not when you feel like it, when you feel up to it. Stay with me. Stay united with me. This is Yeshua saying, stick with me, and I will with you. You can't do it when you feel like you can't do it when it crosses your mind. It's you stay. You never break that communication. I am the vine. This is verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who stay united with me and I with them are the ones who bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can't do a thing. Unless a person remains United with me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire where they are burned up. Wow. That seems so harsh. Let's not rush over that. Unless a person remains united with me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire where they are burned up. Let me pause here because this is awful, folks. This is terrifying. We're talking about productivity and pruning, and here's the possibility of being thrown into the fire. And clearly this fire is the eternal lake of fire. It's damnation, loss of our salvation. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, here's one way to think of this verse, and this is Matthew Henry, always a great commentary, the fatal consequences of forsaking Christ. And he draws a lot of this from John 15:6. If any man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. This is a description of the fearful state of hypocrites that are not in Christ and that and of apostates that abide not in Christ. They are cast forth as dry and withered branches which are plucked off because they cumber the tree. It is just that those should have no benefit by Christ who think that they have no need of him and that those who reject him should be rejected by him. Now this is me. This is key. It is simply and I guess this, you know, some stuff is really good when it's put very simply. This is this is put very simply. It's not simply that you've not produced to the level that you think glorifies God. It is the rejection and the belief that you have no need of Christ. Those that abide not in Christ shall be abandoned by him. They are left to themselves to fall into scandalous sin and then are justly cast out of the communion with the faithful. Uh, Henry goes on to say, they are withered as a branch broken off from the tree. Those that abide not in Christ, though they may flourish a while in a plausible, at least a passable profession, yet in a little time they wither and they come to nothing. Their parts and their gifts wither. Their zeal and their devotion wither. Their credit and reputation wither. Their hopes and their comforts wither. Job eight eleven through 13 has a lot to say about this. This is worthy of note. Those that bear no fruit after a while will bear no leaves. How soon is it that fig tree withers away? 
which Christ has cursed. Men gather them, Satan's agents and emissaries pick them up and make them and make an easy prey of them. Those that fall off from Christ presently fall in with sinners and the sheep that wander from Christ's fold. The devil stands ready to seize them for himself. It is when the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul that an evil spirit possessed him. You see, nature abhors a vacuum. If you're not relying on or abiding in Christ, you will be picked up by Satan. He is the ruler of this world. To not choose Christ is a choice for Satan, whether you realize it or not. By the way, thank you for those in chat that have joined us in chat. We appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. This is the point of the passage. This is the whole point. He is the ruler of this world. Satan is the ruler of this world. To not choose Christ is a choice for Satan. And it doesn't matter whether we realize this or not. What matters is, is that it is true. Verse number seven, if you remain united with me and my words with you, then ask whatever you want and it will happen for you. This is how my father is glorified in your bearing much fruit. This is how you will prove to be my Talmudim. That's John 15, 1 through 8. That's the complete Jewish Bible, by the way. Philippians 4.13 in the New King James Version reads this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So often Yeshua is the missing element in our failed productivity. This is Matthew Henry again, eloquently stated. So necessary is it to our comfort and happiness that we be fruitful. That the best argument to engage us to abide in Christ is that otherwise we cannot be fruitful. Abiding in Christ is necessary in order to our doing much good. It is necessary to our doing any good. It's not only a means of cultivating and increasing what good there is already in us, but it is the root and the spring of all good. Without me, you can do nothing. Not only no great thing, not only you know, not healing the sick or raising the dead, but nothing. It says we can't do anything. Without Christ, we can do nothing, all right? Nothing. Nothing that will be fruitful or pleasing to God or profitable to ourselves. Second Corinthians 3 goes this way. Such is the confidence we have through the Messiah toward God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to count anything as having come from us. On the contrary, our competence is from God. We depend on Christ not only as the vine upon the wall for support, also as the branch upon the root for life-giving sap. So pruning is important. We've established pruning is important. Well, what is the process of pruning? Most of us already know way too much, more than we'd ever want to know about this. Why? Because we live it. We get pruned by God all the time. But maybe we don't understand it fully, so it's, it's good to go into it. God uses people to prune us. This involves all the ugly things people do to us and say about us, whether in front of our face or behind our back. These are often people who they themselves have not developed the fruit of the Spirit that we're working on developing ourselves. So they're going through some stuff, and eventually they're going to be pruned. But while we're going through the pruning, a lot of times God uses the things, sometimes terrible things, that people say to us and about us to prune us. Sometimes there's some good that comes of it. God uses problems. This is another thing that he does to prune us. 
He uses problems, the problems that we bring on ourselves. I call it all the time. If you listen to me for more than five minutes, you'll hear me mention this. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. The problems that we bring on ourselves, and the reason we bring on ourselves is because of our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Then there's the problems that come upon us that are outside our control. We're dealing here with the circumstances of life that are through no fault of our own, stuff that happens to us, and we understandably feel the pain. God uses pressures to prune us. That's another way that he prunes us. He uses pressures to prune us. This has to do with the ways in which we, we respond to problems. You know, sometimes we get mad. We get mad at God. We say, oh, I've got all these problems. And then we get mad. And we say, oh, you know, God, you're, you're, you're out to get me. But he's never out to get us. He's always out to prune us. The ways that we respond to problems... Our attitude towards problems, as problems come across our way. You ever know somebody that they've got, you, you'd think that they had the easiest life, life ever by how they react to everything in their life, but they don't. They have a rough life. They have a challenging life. And you think, man, thank God I don't have that life. But when you deal with them, you interact with them, they're such nice people. They're so sweet and they're so kind and they're so positive and upbeat. And you look at their life and you think, man, how can you be so upbeat? How is this possible? It's how they respond. It's their attitude, how they respond to problems. There's a sense in which all pressure is self-created. A lot of times we make the mistake of thinking that when we have pressure put on us that we create it. It's not always the case. I'll go more about that in a second. What is the purpose of pruning? Well, pruning is a positive thing. God has purposes for everything. He allows everything that comes our way for a reason. Nothing comes by accident, or a word I really love, happenstance. The Bible says, surely your wrath against men brings you praise. Well, the other reason why pruning is so important, pruning is powerful. God always achieves his purposes in this world. Look, eventually he will achieve his purpose. We are given the option of cooperation. The more we accept his working, the more it accomplishes. And the more quickly it's over, and that we can get back into the zone. What is the zone? And why do we want the pruning to get over with quick? You know, you use a sharp blade. I don't know if any of you, I had a little landscaping company years ago called Greener Lawns and Landscapes. Let us make your lawn a greener lawn today. <laughs> so, but one thing, and anybody that knows me knows, I like really sharp knives. I don't see any point in having a knife that's not super, super sharp. I love it to be super sharp. I want it to be razor sharp. Even if it's a knife I carry on my hip, I want it to cut just Shred paper. That's what I like. Well, I like it because it's super effective. And it's safer, actually, to carry a sharper knife. But when I was doing landscaping and things like that many, many years ago, it's safer for the plant or the tree or the bush that you're pruning to have a very, very sharp pruning instrument. The shears need to be sharp. They had better be sharp. And the thing is, when do you prune? Anybody here know when you prune? You prune in the fall. You prune when it's dormant. You never ever prune in the spring or the summer. That's too much. That's too hard. That'll kill the plant. You prune in the fall or the early parts of the winter. And sometimes when you prune, you know, you ever prune a, a, a rose bush? I did this one time for a client many, many years ago. And he wanted to sue me. He said, those are championship roses. I can't believe you pruned them that way. What are you doing? You've killed my roses. And I said, no, no, no. And he made a bet with me. 
One thing you'll learn, don't ever bet me. I win every time. It's a rarity that I lose a bet. So I don't make bets that I can't win. And I always have interesting things to win. It's never just money. So uh, what happens is, is the guy says, look, I'm going to sue you. You've killed my championship roses. And I say, look, tell you what, sue me all you want. I'll pay for new roses and I'll pay a company to come in and bring them in. They're top notch. They'll come in, they'll plant them, and I'll pay for a year's worth of uh, maintenance for the for the roses. So you'll be replaced even better than you are now. If, if in the spring these roses don't come back stronger and better than you ever saw them when you were taking care of them. I said, because I pruned them properly. He said, no, 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 you pruned them harshly. I said, no, sometimes it looks like it's harsh. But in the spring, after the winter, you'll see. Well, guess what, folks? I won that bet. I won't tell you what I won. It's not important. But the bottom line is, the more we accept his working, the more it accomplishes. The more quickly it's over. Look, if you have a sharp instrument, then the pruning is made easy. And then we get back into the zone. I mentioned something called the zone. What is the zone? Have you ever known somebody? Now, I mentioned uh, about attitude, the way you look at things, the way you manage uh, things. Have you ever known somebody that just seems to be connected with God? They're just so connected with God. They're in such a relationship. It's a linear sort of relationship. It's it's close. They're, they never seem to struggle to connect with God. You ever know anybody like that? I know lots of people like that. I've been very, very fortunate. And I call that the zone. They're in the zone. They're connected. They just don't seem to leave that zone. Some people, they hear a good worship song and then they get connected, right? Emotionally, that that emotionalism that happens to us through good music, um, sometimes a good sermon, you know, it gets you it gets you connected. But music, a lot of times, is what they do. People say, "Man, I need to get the get in the zone of worship. I need to get into that zone of worship." Well, this is that zone that I'm talking about. So the faster the pruning happens, and the faster you cooperate, or another word for cooperate, we could say, is submit. The faster we submit to the pruning, the more the quickly, the more quickly that we accept the pruning, the faster we get back to the zone. Well, there's one thing we know about pruning. Pruning is productive. The first thing that we really need to know is the fruit of pruning is internal. It happens first inside us. Hebrews 12:11. Now all discipline while it is happening does indeed seem painful, not enjoyable, but for those who have been trained by it, it later produces its peaceful fruit. Where does peace happen? Peace is in your soul, it's in your heart, it's in your mind, it's inside you. It's not on the outside, it's inside. Peace you ever know a really super peaceful person? It comes from inside them. Then it goes on to say, so it does indeed seem painful, not enjoyable, but for those who have been trained by it, later produces its peaceful fruit, which is righteousness. So strengthen your drooping arms. You know what? You ever be pruning something, uh, and after a while, you know, you're lifting your arms up. It gets tired. Your arms start to droop. You know, whenever you work above your head or above your waist, you do a lot of above your head stuff. You do a lot of above your head stuff. I'm sure you do a lot of welding above your head. After a while, you got to shake it out, right? Because your arms start to droop. Well, the Bible's really smart. They knew people would be welding and running wires and doing HVAC systems. And so they planned for it. And then they also knew that 
sometimes, you know, our tottering knees, it's an old term, tottering knees, steady your tottering knees and make a level path for your feet so that what has been injured will not get wrenched out of joint, but rather will be healed. Look, this is the other thing we know. Pruning is necessary in producing the fruit of the Spirit. God works on us in the most unique of ways. It's it's really cool how he does it because I started this off by saying he wants us to be productive. He wants us to produce not only good fruit, but more good fruit. And it kind of goes that way. It builds and builds and builds. And that fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. I talked a couple of times already about people that have such a great attitude towards their life. They live in such a unique way that there's joy about them. And you think, man, you must have the easiest life in the world. And then you sit down with them and they say, well, I have pancreatic cancer and I've had this major surgery and you know, and and I'm, I've got a third of my innards cut out of my body, and I've got to have chemotherapy as soon as I'm well enough to have it. But you know what? I'm so happy. I'm so joyous. Yeah, I'm in terrible pain. I have thousands of stitches and staples, but I'm alive, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for to God for each breath, each time I have with my family and my friends. And you say, you had that happen? You're dealing with that? Yeah. And then they open their shirt and they show you the zipper marks all over their body where a whole big part of their body has been taken out. And you say, wow, I'd have never known that by talking to you. Your attitude is of such joy. You, you're so kind and so hopeful and so happy. How can that be? Well, that's fruit of the Spirit. Pruning contributes to the productivity of our lives and to our ministries. And you say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a reverend doctor. What What do you mean, my ministry? All of us have a ministry, right? We all go to work. We're all around people. Maybe some of us are retired and we go places and we're around people. We're in a club or we do this. Whatever we do, we're all around people. That's our ministry. Wherever you go, where you live, that's your ministry. No matter where you go, no matter where you live, that's your ministry. And that's the thing. You know, I tell you, productivity, when we talk about our productivity, how we live, how we how we do what we do, uh, you know, in the world we measure things, right? We measure things that way and we say, hey, we don't uh we don't measure things uh in the Christian world. I'll I'll give you two examples just for fun. If we're at a, a business for profit, what is the measurement? Anybody know? Say it again. It's return on investment. It's sales. It's profit. How profitable are we? If we sell a whole lot of widgets, but we pay $40 an hour to every single person that works in the company, guess what? You better sell a whole lot of widgets because you're not going to be profitable. Sometimes it doesn't matter how much you sell if it's too costly to sell it. You're not making profit, right? So we have that from a secular perspective. I talk about this in my book, Excellence Kill the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. And then I talk about that on theninjapastor.com. You can go there and you can... Sowing and reaping, reaping, right? Right? And if you want to reap a lot, guess what you better do? You better sow a lot. And when do you sow? A long time from the reaping. 
So if you're a person who is kind and loving and gentle and you do kind and loving and gentle things around people and you're honest and you're 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 uh, approachable guess what eventually you're going to bear fruit you're sowing in the fall when do, when's the best time anybody here ever plant a lawn you plant in the fall you put your grass seed in the ground in the fall and you say why would i do that i want to see it grow i want to see it grow well then you better plant well you better fertilize and then you better be patient because spring is coming. There's going to be a lot of snow. There's going to be a lot of time that passes. But guess what? Spring is coming. So the productivity of our lives and our ministries, we all have ministries, and they're all expected to be productive. They're all expected to give a lot of good fruit. Notice the progression in John 15. Right in that passage that I read earlier, uh, fruit, more fruit, much, much more fruit. We we have to always be looking. People say, well, you're just never satisfied. It's not an issue of not being satisfied. Just like in a profitable company, guess what? You're always seeking to improve. You're always looking to improve. You're never, ever, ever going to sit on your laurels. Why? Because as soon as you become complacent in a company, guess what's going to happen? You're going to cease to be profitable. Yeah, or you get the old heave-ho. Right? Especially now we have publicly traded companies. Guess what happens? You had better be generating share price for the stockholders because you know what's going to happen. If you don't, you're going to go. I don't care how great you are. I don't care how interesting you are. You've got to bear more and more fruit. It's not an issue of greed. It's an issue of of feasibility, long-term feasibility. You've got to do it. If you want to be successful in business, you've got to do it. Well, guess what? In our Christian lives, in our lives of faith, we have to do that. And the question ultimately becomes, are we that profitable Christian? You say, well, what's my profit? What did it just say? Productivity in our lives and our ministry. You know, if we're that person, you know, I talked about that person that you love being around, that's so fun, they're happy, they're positive, they have a great attitude, and then you look at their life and you think, my goodness, how can you be so happy? I talked about that person, but what's the inverse to that person? Right? Sad Sally. Party Pooper Paul. You know, I'm going to say a bunch of other names, but I got a bunch of them. It could go on all night. But the fact of the matter is, is you know these people that are just whiny. They're dark. You go to their house, you go to visit them, you go to their house and you think, I thought maybe you lived in a box. I thought maybe you lived in a in a lean-to up against the woods or maybe underneath the overpass. But I'm shocked and surprised. I'm shocked and surprised to see you live in this beautiful home. And I looked in your garage. Sorry for snooping, but I like cars. I looked in your garage and I saw all these nice cars. Wow, the reason why you're so sad and down and 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 kind of crabby patty, I bet is because you've got all these bills and you're probably worn out. No. They're all paid off. Everything's paid off. Everything's paid off. We own it all. We don't owe anything for anything. We just pay our taxes and electric bill and gas bill. Yep, and insurance. But then you get them talking, and before too long, guess what? They start down that path. Well, yeah, and we own all this, but you ever know those Christians that there's always a but? 
There's always a but at the end of their supposed claims of joy, right? Those That's the inverse to the really happy, really joyful, really productive follower of Christ. That's the inverse. Do we ever want to be that? No, and if for us to not be that, we've got to produce fruit, more fruit, much, much more fruit. Well, here's some problems of pruning, and these are mistakes that people make about pruning. A lot of times people think pruning is punishment. Look, it's clear from Hebrews 12, 4 through 11, that this is just simply not so. It's simply not true. Pruning as discipline is not punishment. Well, here's the scripture. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in the contest against sin. Also, you have forgotten the counsel which speaks to you as sons. My son, don't despise the discipline of Adonai or become despondent when he corrects you. For Adonai disciplines those he loves and whips everyone he accepts as a son. So my son's here today. So what I've learned by this scripture is I need to get a whip. That's the problem. I need to get a whip so that I can properly love my son. No, he doesn't need it. He, yeah, he thinks I'm reading into that a little bit, my son says. But the point of this is, is whip is a euphemism for, hey, we got to get in the shape. we got to do the right thing. And verse 7 goes on to say, regard your endurance as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son goes undisciplined by his father? All legitimate sons undergo discipline. So if you don't, you're a mamzer. Isn't that a funny word? It's a Hebrew word. Uh, and not a son. What is a mamzer? I see you asking. I'm glad that you ask. I happen to have the answer. It's a person born from certain forbidden relationships or the descendant of a person in the Hebrew Bible or Jewish religious law. So verse 9 goes on to say, Furthermore, we had physical fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. How much more should we submit to our spiritual father and live? For they disciplined us only for a short time and only as best they could. But he disciplines us in a way that provides genuine benefit to us and enables us to share in his holiness. Verse 11, now all discipline, while it is happening, does indeed seem painful, not enjoyable. But for those who have been trained by it, it later produces peace, its peaceful fruit, which is righteousness. And I said just a few minutes ago, where does your peacefulness come from? When we say, oh, I had such a peace in my spirit. I just had such a peace about me. And then sometimes, some, and I, I know people like this, they say, they'll describe somebody to me and they'll say, you just can see the peace on their face. The peace just is exuding from them. It's just, they just exude peace. It emanates from their bodies. But we understand that that comes from inside them, from their soul, from their heart, from their spirit. That's inside. Peaceful fruit. It later produces peaceful fruit. But what has to happen first? Remember what I said. That bet I made with that guy was going to sue me for wrecking his roses. He said this. He said, I'm going to sue you. And I said, tell you what, I'll sign a thing saying, I accept that. I'll pay for new roses, all these things, just like a story I told you. But I said, you've got to do me one favor. You've got to be patient. You've got to be patient. 
Are you willing to wait until spring to learn the lesson of pruning? He says, oh, yeah, if I'm going to get all new plants and a year's worth of treatment by somebody that knows what they're doing, sure, I'll be glad to. I'll take that bet, and I'll win. Well, you know what else he did? This is a part of the story I didn't tell yet. Better make sure I have time. Uh, his neighbors, and it's a very wealthy neighborhood, all of his neighbors, some of whom were clients of mine, they entered a pool. They created a pool, like a football pool for the Super Bowl, but a pool. And in the spring, they had all placed bets. And they said, hey, what do you bet? Do you bet that Sean Greener is going to have these, these greener lawns and landscapes? You, do you bet these roses come back healthier and more beautiful than ever? Or do you bet that nothing but woody stalks? Something you just cut off and throw in the bonfire. What do you bet? Well, they all place bets. And I mean, these were wealthy people, so they were big bets. So springtime comes. Well, don't you think I, I drove by that neighborhood a whole bunch of thousand times in between, come on spring, come on spring. Show me what you got, Lord. And sure enough, the day comes, and he says, all right, well, it's about time for you to come over. I said, yep, it sure is. I can't wait. I'm coming over. He says, aren't you curious? I said, no. I know what's going to happen, and I know, what, I know what's going on. I'm good to go. Well, I didn't know about the bet. So we go, and I get there, and all of his neighbors are there, and they're all, you know, got their little glass of wine and their little fancy thing, and, and uh, they're all standing around talking. They got their pinkies out, and they're all talking about, well, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm surprised. I can't believe it. Wow, look at these beautiful roses. Oh, my, we're going to get you to do our roses and all this stuff. And I see, you know, but they were acting kind of weird. They're acting kind of weird, and some are disappointed. <laughs> ah, darn those roses. Arr! Why do they have to be so beautiful and strong and healthy? Right? But the homeowner, he's elated. He's happy as he can be. Why? Because they're his roses. And he had to show patience. And here they were. Well, guess what he did? He said, I owe you an apology. He said this right in front of everybody. I owe you an apology. I was wrong, and you were right. I should have trusted you. And I said, such is the lesson. I didn't know back then. This is years ago. I didn't know back then I'd be ever preaching a sermon to people all over the world about pruning, God's pruning in our lives. I didn't know at that time. But I saw it as an opportunity to preach. And I wasn't even a preacher. And I said, you know, that's the thing with God's kingdom. We have to be patient. We have to do the right thing. And then we have to be patient. We have to take our time and to do the right things. We have to learn from our mistakes. And then we have to be patient. Well, he says, I owe you an apology in front of all these people. I owe you an apology. I'm very, very sorry. And then he hands me an envelope. And I didn't look in the envelope. I act like I've been in the end zone a hundred times, right? This was my Super Bowl. I act like I've been in an end zone a hundred times. I didn't have a fancy dance. I didn't do any of that business. I just stuck the envelope in my pocket, act like nothing. Well, don't you know, as soon as I got down the street away from the eyes of all those people, I pulled my little my little Ford Falcon wagon over, and I looked in my pocket. And there was about $1,500, more than $1,500, in cash. What did he do? What did the homeowner do? Not only did he have the grace and the dignity to accept that he'd been disciplined. He'd been disciplined. He was wrong. He bet against me, and he was wrong. He bet against God. He bet against God, and he was wrong. 
That's the crazy thing. He bet against God, and he was wrong. But he had the grace to say, hey, you know what? We had a little pool, and some bet against you. He said, you want to know the crazy thing? I bet for you. But I wanted to give you this money. This is the money that I won for winning, and I wanted you to have it. How about that? Isn't that something? That was a crazy event I never forgot, even with a brain injury. I've still not forgotten that. I wish I still had some of that. I know. I know. Cash was king then. Back then, it was that would that might have might as well have been ten thousand dollars. You know, cash is king. So our punishment. The other thing we're wrong about with pruning is our punishment was taken by Christ on the cross. Anybody that's known me for any length of time, you folks here know me. There's no harder critic on me than me. Nobody's going to criticize me harder than me. Nobody's going to be harder on me than me. I'm I'm going to be my worst critic. Wow, I messed that up. I don't know how I messed that up. No matter what the reason is, is I I feel bad about messing up or not doing my best. And I'm always coming back at myself. And I don't deserve. Why did God bless me this way? I don't deserve that. But you know what? Our punishment was taken by Christ on the cross. Chastening is simply part of the pruning process. Chastening, they chasten the dead branches, the branches that are on the 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 uh, the, the uh, tree, the trunk of the tree, or the or the vine, the main vine. Those dead branches, they have to be cut away. The other thing we think is pruning is permanent. We think the branches that we trim off, oh, they'll never grow again. There'll never be another branch there. I've made a mistake. Those rose bushes are never... This is what the guy thought, the rich man with the beautiful house, that he was paying some putts like me to fix up his fancy roses. They'll never grow back. But he didn't believe that enough to bet against me, did he? Isn't that interesting? I think that's... Uh, there's a lot to be said about that. I might put that in my next book, that story. Tell you some other things that I have time to tell you tonight. But we think the loss is permanent. But pruning... Sometimes I disagree with this, pruning, with, with this idea that pruning is only to produce more fruit. Sometimes there's a lesson in it. You ever hear that verse, be still and know that I am God? Does it say, be still and know that I am God and keep producing and producing and producing and producing? Do big things? Heal a bunch of people? No, it just says, be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes the, the, the thing is your relationship with God. That's the thing. That's the fruit, is your relationship with God. So many people spend so much time running around trying to save everybody that they forget about themselves. They forget about their relationship with God. Also, we think that there's an end to pruning or the plan is destroyed. And folks, God's intention is never to destroy his children. It's to discipline them as sons. Well, you know what I've learned over time? God pruning is passive. God prunes out the dead branches. God also prunes the living branches. He sometimes cuts back something that we consider very productive. Well, that rich man with the big fancy house and the 30-plus championship roses that he paid this putz to prune and then had all his neighbors bet, He thought I cut away 
the whole thing. He thought I cut away the productive stuff. He said, wow, you cut, a, you cut all that away. You cut good rosebush away. It'll never recover. God cuts away the dead branches, and he also cuts away some living branches. He cuts back something that we consider very productive. And you know what? Here's what I have to say about that. Our refusal to accept what he's doing can cause us to miss productivity. Our refusal to accept the pruning of God, the critical pruning of God by the master gardener, can really mess us up. It can cost us beyond our ability to pay. I say never bet against God. If the master gardener says, hey, you need a little pruning, guess what you should do? You should hand him some sharp shears. God wants us to be productive. God is always at work in our lives to produce the fruit that he wishes. And you know what? Maximum productivity demands that we cooperate with his pruning. Here's the crazy thing. Nobody likes to be pruned. I'm sure if the rosebush could talk, if the rosebush could talk, I would almost bet you that it would say, you know what, we don't like all this pruning business. I bet there's a tree outside of my house. I was going to tell this story, but I'm just going to tell part of it. Um, you know, we had a lot of snow here in the Northeast. And we our cul-de-sac here was just full of snow. And even though the fellow with the push blade came through, and my goodness, they worked so hard, didn't they? They, they were out here you know, pushing snow and pushing snow throughout the night. And the next morning, they did the best they could. But you know what? It was so much snow that the push blade couldn't get it all done. And we couldn't really move. We had five feet tall mountains of snow. And there's trees bordering the, the mailbox there. The, the, the kind of, I don't know what you call them, public mailbox, I guess it's called. And the fellow that came with a front end loader he was digging up the snow, big old front end loader, which I've always wanted to, you know, have one. Doesn't everybody? And uh, so he's he's digging up the snow and moving snow, and all of a sudden, he snaps a branch, a mature branch, on one of these trees over here by the mailbox. It's gone. It's dead. Well, here's the thing. Who prunes that tree? Whose responsibility is to prune the tree? Is it that fella that... That broke it? Well, he didn't mean to break it. What was he doing? He was just trying to help us. He was just here helping us. Helping the whole community out. And he broke a tree. Here's the crazy thing about those trees. Those trees aren't owned by the community. They're not owned by the town. Those trees were planted by our neighbor many years ago. What, 10 years maybe even? A lot of years, let's put it that way. And when she put them in, at her own expense, she buried them herself, she she put the mulch on, she fed them, she watered them during droughts, all of these things. Boy, they looked so sickly for so long. So, man, these will never make it, these trees. But they did, and now they've been broken by somebody with the best of intentions. So the question is, whose responsibility is it to prune the tree? Is it the person who really owns the trees? I don't know. I don't know. I bet you that my neighbor doesn't know as much about pruning trees as I do. 
I wonder if maybe I have a sharp enough saw or a sharp enough pruning uh, instrument to prune that tree. Maybe she does, or maybe one of my other neighbors do. I have the knowledge on how to do it. Maybe physically I can't do that anymore, but I have I still have the knowledge. But I need a tool, right? I need a sharp pruning instrument. But what else do I need? I need agreement. I need agreement from my neighbor who the trees really belong to. She bore the expense of. I need agreement from the neighborhood because I'll tell you what else. The neighborhood by now has assumed those trees are neighborhood trees. The little kids come along and they have pretty flowers on them. What do the little ones do? They pick the leaves off until the neighbor who paid to put those trees in sees those little kids picking the pretty flowers off the trees and she comes scampering out of her house yelling at the little kids. And the little kids say, Ooh, that lady's miss. She's not very nice, Mr. Sean. So the neighborhood has to kind of agree. Maybe if we could come together, maybe if we could cooperate, the pruning could happen. And that tree could be saved. Because you know what's going to happen if we don't prune that tree before spring, before the budding happens? It's going to die. It's a mature tree, it seems, but it's going to die because it was injured. And now the dead branch stands to kill the rest of the tree. It's interesting. I think analogies are all around us. Life is a metaphor for life. Really, it's every which way we turn. If we're open, we can see all the lessons God has for us. Because you know what? Sometimes we need, I need people in this group and people all around the world. I got messages. Um, I did a post on the ninjapastor.com. Go to the blog section. Um, this this whole thing. By the way, our show tomorrow is off the chain. Uh, the Collision of Faith and Politics, same channel. If you go to the ninjapastor.com, there'll be a blog post there. Uh, you can click on that. That'll take you right to our channel on Blog Talk Radio. It is going to be crazy. Tomorrow's show, I'm not kidding you, is going to blow your mind. One of the posts I did was on, uh, It was an, I did an interview regarding, excuse me, the ranchers out in Oregon. I don't know if you've been following this, but freedom is under attack. And the facts are there in my blog. There's several different shows that I've done. You have hours of facts. Say, I wish I knew the facts. If you listen, it's free of charge. All it takes is your time. If you'd be willing to listen, you're going to know the facts by the time you finish. Well, I had uh, an impromptu opportunity, last-minute opportunity, to interview a witness to all this, someone in the convoy, Mr. Ed Snipes, wonderful, wonderful man, 72-year-old hero as far as I'm concerned. And he granted me uh, the honor of interviewing him. And one of the people... Uh, or, or five, I had five comments on that particular one. I haven't gone back to see if there's any more. But five comments were negative, and they said, yeah, I learned a lot from this man, but I'd sure learn a lot more if the pastor didn't keep talking. My goodness, if he'd just shut up, he makes me want to scream. said, I talk too much. Can you imagine? Me? Seems implausible. But here's the crazy thing about it. What she didn't know, what she didn't know was that Mr. Snipes had said, hey, if you would, I don't have much experience with this. If you just guide me through, don't let me say something's going to get me in trouble. And I said, Mr. Snipes, your safety and your well-being is of foremost importance to me. It's of utmost importance to me. I don't care about getting a big scoop. I don't care about going viral. I don't care about any of that stuff. 
What I care about is getting the truth out, but you being safe in the process. So if at any point in time we think, you know, that maybe you're venturing into territory that could get you in some trouble, we'll interrupt. And we'll do so politely and, and with respect. And so he called me after the show and he said, hey, I, I offered you, thank you so much. I had a lot of fun doing that. And he said, you know, you're really respectful and, and I invited you to dinner at my house and I'm man to man. I want you to know I was serious about that. I'd love for you to come out here and have a dinner with me and I'm going to do it. One of these days I'm going to get out there to Burns, Oregon and have dinner with Mr. Ed Snipes. And I bet it'll be good. But here's the thing. Five women, they were ironically all five women. You know what I found out about them? I did a little research because I have some access to resources. They're all Wicca. They're all these Wicca witches, and and they all work at the same company. And I'm thinking, were they all on break for two hours? Or were they listening to my show during work? And, of course, they don't like what the pastor says, right, because he's a pastor. But I took that to heart. It kind of hit me hard. The interview took hit me hard. It was kind of like pruning. But ironically, the next uh, broadcast was on a Monday, last Monday's show. I did Monday's show and interviewed K. Carl Smith. You guys know who he is by now? K. Carl is awesome. I encourage you, uh, Frederick Douglass Republicans, diversityengagement.org. I'm telling you, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, he was on the show. And then all these people, just thousands of notes some famous people that listened to my show said man i i have never heard an interview done like that before i was so just drawn in all of a sudden it's over two hours is over and then different people and then he then i get a call from his national director saying that was the best interview he's ever had and he told me he said man that was fun i sure did love that not that i'm some great interview i'm not patting myself on the back but you know what i think even though I didn't like what those five witches, and I'm not calling them names, they really are witches. They make no bones about it. They're real public about it. The five Wiccans, they call them witches. Earth witches or some kind of thing. I don't know what their nicknames are. Even though even though their words kind of, they bit me a little bit. Maybe I did something, a little something during the interview on Monday that I learned from the other interview. That maybe that helped me do a better interview. I don't know. But you know, I didn't like the pruning. I did not like the pruning at all. But you know what? The pruning liked me. The pruning helped me in some way. I say all that to say this. Life has a way of pruning us. God has a way, if, if we're open to him, we cooperate with him, he will prune us if we cooperate. But we have to be willing. Folks, I'll tell you this. There's a shortage of willingness in this country today. There's a shortage of willingness in the pulpits all across America to preach the true and full gospel of Yeshua HaMashiach. There's, there's an unwillingness in this country to tell the truth about the condition of this country. There's an unwillingness for people to stand up and tell the truth. There's a cost to be paid. This week, uh, actually on the 5th, Lavoy Fenicum yesterday was that patriot rancher, the great patriot rancher and follower of Christ was laid to rest. Thousands of Americans came from all over the country to pay their last respects to honor this great American hero. You'll hear more about that tomorrow on tomorrow's show. But let me say this. 
There's a cost sometimes to stand up. There are too few in this country. I said this the other day, and I'll say it again now, and I've said it in different blog posts at theninjapastor.com. If there were thousands of people surrounding Lavoie Finnicum and Ammon Bundy, the federal government would have never fired a single shot, would they? You know what? If there were thousands of Christians, millions of Christians from all around the world, standing with the Christians that are being beheaded, being tortured and raped and stoned to death, there wouldn't be any Christians being tortured and raped and stoned to death. That there were millions of Christians standing together arm in arm. But you know what? We can't because we're sniping about our little picayune disagreements. We're doing the same thing in politics in this country. And it's silly. And God, my friends, is going to do some serious and some painful pruning. Join us Monday at 4 p.m. Thank you. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.